Good morning and welcome to yet another episode of an unqualified guide to good life, the show where we try to work out what it means to live well despite having no qualifications to do so. My name is Adam and with me as always is Nick. He's the Bard of Geneva. I'm going to go with Captain Muscles this time. I think it's <laughs> okay. a little bit better than... No, Mr. Muscles has got the alliteration, but it also makes you yeah. sound like a brand of uh, kitchen polish. So um, yeah, yeah. So, you what know, are you going to do? The Bard of Geneva is, is okay. I could, I could ask you to stop. You could. You could. I don't know that it would um, be effective, but yeah. but uh, you could ask. People have been telling us to stop podcasting for years. No, it's not <laughs> true. Everyone loves, everyone loves the show. Everyone loves everyone it. Everyone loves the show. How yeah. are you doing, Nick? Pretty good. It's Monday morning. You know, that, that new week energy, you know, I don't feel especially fresh, but I'm hoping to feel fresh by the end of the week. So that's, you know. In preparation for the weekend. Yeah. Yeah. That's where I'm at. What yeah, about yeah. you? Um, I would have to, I would have to agree. Something, something very impactful is happening this week. And really we should have made the episode about this, but I'm going to this Friday live out a childhood dream and I'm going to do some blacksmithing. And I just think everyone has to know. I'm going to make a kitchen knife in a forge right. with a hammer and an yeah. anvil. Fire. <laughs> as well. The, firstly, the likelihood for you personally being injured uh, in this endeavor is extremely <laughs> high. Absurdly high. Um, it is the most dangerous single thing I could, I could do, basically. Yeah. yeah, yeah, basically, basically. You just have to like wheeled burning metal <laughs> but good luck with that Thank um you. secondly i i mean how exactly would we theoretically run a podcast on that well i don't know exactly? I, I just think maybe we could talk about um you know how how it works the the different sounds that are made when you when you do the blacksmithing like sometimes okay, you hit you, it with a hammer you, and it goes okay, you know what, maybe... and then you put it in water and it goes like that um, okay. All right. You've clearly um, never been to a forge, um, but <laughs> <laughs> you're going to rectify that. And uh, you can tell us about it next week. We look I forward will. to hearing about it. Good I luck. Will. Thank you. Don't die. No promises. <laughs> Don't tell me what to do. <laughs> Don't tell me what to do. Exactly. <laughs> um, well, but it's um, not what we're talking about today. Yeah, and what we are talking Forge, about forging, forging aside, forgery aside, indeed, um, we are extending our season on spirit, and today talking about the notion of travel within spirit. Mm-hmm. Um, now, um, in 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 breaking with tradition, because um, you know we are we are conservative at times, but we we, we can be never, never been conservative well. in my life. That's a dirty slander. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, it's um, yeah. Impartiality is uh, mm. really one of our core values. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The the um, topic for today is um, the notion of traveling and um, and how that sort of fits within the spiritual life um, and in keeping with um, our liberal, healthy breakage of tradition. Um, I, I, I am going to do the quote today, um, you know, since Adam like brings like four or five to the table. <laughs> and what a, and, and what a build up to this quote, 
it's yeah, been such a, a preamble a, so exciting quote. and and let me tell you i have nearly found it um, <laughs> oh i see okay. what's happening <laughs> so so yeah uh the quote uh supposedly attributed to the buddha like like all things on the internet if they don't belong to einstein are um as you walk and eat and travel be where you are otherwise mm. you will miss most of your life and um I like this. I like this quote. It's very simple, but it's simply a calling to uh, mindfulness and um, the notion of presence in the moment as underpinning the value of most essential things we do, but um, particularly these dynamic things of walking and travel. So to be present in this act of movement um, and, uh, and, and to perhaps uh, get some enlightenment from that. Mm-hmm. You know, um, now I, I have a couple of thoughts on um, the Buddha himself, you know, friend of the show. Um, yep. <laughs> but before I embark on those, Adam, do you have any um, any any reflections of your own on on traveling? Any premises you want to put forward? Um, I'm sure we'll I'm sure we'll get to them uh, in regards to that quote specifically. I It made me think that is a big part of the reason why I um and not that I've actually ever really done this, but why I don't like the idea of kind of a resort holiday. Um, mm. You know, especially if people go like really, if you go to Barbados for two weeks to sit in a, in a hotel on a, on a, on a beach, fine. You could do that. But also if you're going to sit in a hotel on a beach, you could go somewhere closer than Barbados. You know, if you just want a bit of sun, you don't have to go around the world for it. And all posh hotels are going to be the same. Um mm. And that's kind of what I think, of, and it makes me feel the presence because if you are going for a sort of uh, genericized thing, then um, then it's the same everywhere, isn't it? Yeah, it's true. It is kind of one of the um, great ironies of wealth, right? That like mm. accessibility to everything, wherever you are, makes every place pretty much similar value. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, <laughs> you know. Um, Globalization and capitalism aside, mm. um, and I can actually say that um, let's let's talk about the Buddha for a second. Okay, great. <laughs> let's talk about um, the Buddha. Yeah, yeah. So I I didn't really know um, much or indeed essentially anything about the Buddha um, before we did this, but I thought I would bring him up um, and um, give a little bit of context um, as to who this person. Uh, was is um primarily uh because the buddha is one of the um more famous um and really pioneering spiritual travelers Mm. and um the life of um the enlightened traveler is often attributed to his legacy right um so so i wanted to give some context for that by by simply giving a little bit of his um backstory um for those who like myself didn't know anything about that so um the buddha uh was uh not born the buddha but um was born a prince in Mm -hmm. a north uh indian kingdom around 2500 years ago um and his name was siddhartha gautama i hope i'm saying that correctly yeah i know that um i believe it's in modern day nepal despite being indian at the time okay i only think that because i went to nepal and they were like this is the town we didn't actually go there but like like, (laughs) go to the town where the buddha was born Um, okay cool yeah makes sense well um 
the the title of Buddha means simply enlightened one or the one who is awake, right? Mm -hmm. um, but Siddhartha started uh, his life simply as um, the son of, uh, of, a, of, a, of a wealthy ruler of a small kingdom, right? He was born into a, a life of luxury. Um, and um, his life was so, 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 luck, uh, so luxurious um, that um, the king who wanted his son to inherit the kingdom um, tried to prevent him from becoming interested in the life of um, a holy man or the world outside of the palace, right? Um, and so the king ordered the young prince to be protected from all evidence of suffering, imperfection, sickness, old age, and death, right? Um, so much so that by the time he was 29, um, Siddhartha had essentially never left the palace, um, but his curiosity could eventually no longer be contained, um, and he persuaded his chariot driver to take him out of the palace into the city. And there he encountered what are known as the four sites, right? Which are an old person first, then a sick person, then a dead person, and finally a holy man, mm -hmm. right? Um, and Chana, who was the name of the chariot driver, um, explained what the first three sites meant. Um, and Siddhartha was shocked because he had never seen um, the degradation of uh, age, you know, or of illness, or indeed of death. Um, but he was equally struck by how calm and serene the holy man seemed amid the crowds. Um, and it is at this point in his life that he sought to become one of his own. Um, so he escaped the palace at night, um, actually left behind a wife and a son, um, and gave up his life of comfort in order to try and become you know, the, the, the holy man who eventually would become the Buddha. So he wandered searching for truth, trained with different teachers to learn yoga and meditation and eventually became a teacher himself. And at first experimented with more extreme methods um, to seek enlightenment, right? Um, so having um, understood uh, or, or been bathed and, and lived in this life of opulence, he then tried to live in a life of extreme negligence right fasting until he was near starvation um mm -hmm. but but never found the answer to his questions um and eventually moved on to a more moderate path one between luxury and poverty which he called the middle way right um but he continued to meditate to discuss ideas with people and learn new things um and it is supposed that at some point um he sat with the conviction um under a bodhi tree he sat under a tree with a conviction that he wouldn't leave his meditation spot until he attained enlightenment right um and um and i don't know how long he's supposed to have sat under this tree but it was quite some time because very many temptations were sent his way i heard it was years i don't know exactly how long but i've heard yeah. it was years yeah yeah which which any um... buddhists let us know <laughs> <laughs> but yeah ultimately um he 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 did reach his um state of enlightenment or the state of awareness that he was craving um and then remained on earth as it is ex explained to communicate his insights and wisdom to others right um and and wandered for the next 40 years um collecting disciples and sharing his teachings and establishing what would eventually become kind of the slightly more organized religion of buddhism right um 
So, so as a very basic um, notion, this is the kind of the first, um, well, not the first, but certainly the, the, um, a very um, iconic spiritual traveler, um, the Buddha, who established this tradition, particularly in the religion of Buddhism um, or for travel um, as a kind of an essential extension of the spiritual life. Um, and one which has one which has been kept up even to this day. Uh, for Buddhists, this uh, notion of continuing to travel and to become a wandering yogi or a wandering monk um, is is important. However, it's become um, increasingly, I think, a more difficult path to take, um, and also is one which requires a great amount of training beforehand um, in order to get to such a stage right uh, so essentially the value of becoming um, <clears throat> a spirit uh, a wandering monk is um, is to seek basically solitude and seclusion um, in order to meditate um, diligently on a few key notions right um, mm -hmm. so particularly there is a group of buddhism um, or a branch of Buddhism um, for Thudong monks um, who practice um, this, this uh, isolated meditation um, in order to firmly establish the notions of impermanence, suffering, and non-self within themselves, right? Um, and so they, they go withdraw from society in order to train their minds, um, whether deep into the forests or whatever the case might be. Um, again, the advantages essentially of traveling, um, particularly through this uh, kind of the Buddhist faith is um, to leave behind worldly attachments, right? Mm -hmm. um, so they travel frequently um, with very bare set of basics, like the ro robes, their arms, bowls, because they also um, interact with others and kind of subsist off the donations people give to them. Small sewing kit, a few toiletries, a mosquito net, a water filter, and a bit of medicine. So really the bare necessities, um, and then they find homes for themselves um, wherever wherever they can come across them, you know? Um, and, Be remarkable. And, uh, yeah. It's, it's just, um, you know, is this in a, I don't know where the Thudong Buddhists uh, are, are based. I don't know um, if it's an well, international order or, or... It's kind of, I mean, you know, that's the... Uh, uh, Cambodia, Laos, Thailand, um, I believe parts of India as well. Mm. Um, <clears throat> it's quite common. Um, I think it's ideologically slightly different, a, a different branch of um, Buddhism, although I don't really know the distinction between the different schools. Um, but, you know, in the same way that we have sort of Catholics and Protestants and yeah. Lutherans and so on. Um, <clears throat> however, uh, the uh, practice has been made a little bit difficult for, for two reasons, really. Um, it's um, firstly, um, so uh, reading, reading from a, a Tibetan Buddhist um, being interviewed, um, Tibetans fled their country in the 50s. Um, mm um and they had to struggle to keep the buddhist tradition alive right um so to build monasteries and monastic colleges they needed to dedicate enormous amounts of time to raising money so they had to publish books and travel to the west and southeast asia to gather students as well 
um, ensure they never had a chance to be wandering yogis, mm-hmm. right? Um, so this needs to stay in place in order to build institutions and sort of keep the faith alive and allow it to expand and um, for it to be taught um, was uh, made it difficult for monks to, 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 to journey, right? Um, uh, and then secondly, I think the main thing is um, it's, a, it's a very difficult path, um, right? You know, to, <laughs> to forsake a consistent food supply, a safe environment mm-hmm. to meditate in, um, some walls, um, you know, is, is not only sort of dangerous and challenging, but it also um, requires you to pay attention to those things or to look out for those things for yourself rather than take them for granted. And if you could take them for granted, um, that would simply free a lot of energy and time that you could then direct towards your meditative or yogic practice instead. So I think there's something to be said for that. Then again, I, I looked at a few examples of, um, you know, foreigners becoming Buddhists um, or, or Buddhists from, from Asia leaving their countries to come to the West and, and become Buddhists. Um, it's also harder to find isolation. It's, an, it's a really an interesting link with nature where this notion of the fact that in Europe, um, a lot of the forest land has been dramatically reduced. Yeah. Um, which makes finding isolation in the raw, untapped context of the forest much harder. Um, you know, it make, it's also harder to simply just disconnect from society because leaving from one place to another doesn't necessarily take you off the grid in this uh, social media age that we live in. No, but I, but know, I wonder... That's true, but I wonder if, um, there's, if, if it's not... If the same effect can't be felt in a in in an urban environment, the people talk about a sort of pandemic of of loneliness um, around the world. And I mean, imagine you live in a if you live in a big city in an apartment block, um, you you usually don't know the people who who live next to you. We when we lived in a in an apartment block in East London, we vaguely knew our next door neighbours and were good mates with the people one over because. I'd taken over the room of the guy who then moved into yeah. there. Uh, but other than that, I don't know that I really knew anyone in the apartment block by sight. Sure. And just yeah. to say hi, but, but not, not no, well. sure. There is, I, I, I agree that there was certainly um, uh, a very potent anonymity in big mm. cities in which it is sort of easy to disappear. So in some senses, I suppose that is true. However, you're very much um, kind of, surrounded or embedded in the practices of um, fast-paced materialism and um, I think that's kind of hard to escape and I think this disconnect from nature which is something that we'll you know we'll talk about at some other point um, is also this potent idea right Um, the idea is not simply to have solitude um, but to have the opportunity within that solitude to meditate on certain notions, which is why monks need a certain amount of training before mm-hmm. they become wanderers so that they have understood um, enough uh, yogic and meditative practice to actually put into action and survive the harshnesses of that reality. Right. You know? I suppose, uh, so, so to bring this time slack to traveling a little bit, what would you say then is the value of, of being a wanderer versus going to a single place in the forest and living there for, for how many years it takes to achieve your enlightenment? Mm. Well, I think um, in the Buddhist uh, tradition and in um, these uh, kind of Southeast Asian communities, 
the a lot of the stories I got and a lot of the sense of like the necessity for travel was um, uh, there was still the occasional desire to interact with people. This notion right. of even fleeting but important human connection um, also seemed like an essential aspect of this to meet people along the way mm-hmm. um, and to share, you know, a moment of life with them. Um, food supplies drying up, you know, particularly the arms bowl is there to collect food from strangers. So um, in societies where the holy men are revered and respected, that'll be relatively easy to do. But if you stay in the same place and you continue to collect essentially attacks <laughs> from the same people, that might be harder to do. Um, and then also um, wandering monks were very highly revered. And so mm. when news came of monks, um, wandering monks in those parts, people would start to congregate around them with the aim to learn from them um, and to worship alongside them. And eventually the attention would get too much and the monks would escape because um, they did not wish any attention. Um, certainly not of that kind of celebrity status kind. So, so, so yeah, so those were the reasons I, I could sort of make out for wanting to um, depart um, and, and seek out a new place. But um, I think also the notion was simply that, right? The notion um, was not to remain in place in order purely to meditate, mm-hmm. but just to be in motion and to, and to remain unattached, you know? Right. To remain unshackled, and, but therefore also disconnected from all things in the world, which would then hopefully allow for a reconnection um, to nature and such things, you know? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I get that a lot. I've, I've said uh, often in um, that sort of semi-tongue-in-cheek that one day I would like to own so little that it could all fit in one piece of carry-on luggage because yeah. there's a great amount of freedom that comes from from having very few possessions. Um, yeah. It's owning a house, for example. That's very, that's going to tie you to a place. You've got a house you've got to take care of, you know? Well, um, yeah, Absolutely. And uh, that's something that these monks kind of lived by. Mm. Um, so one of the stories I was reading about was uh, one of these wandering monks who for some time was staying in Hira village and would go on regular jogs, mm-hmm. found it helped his meditative practice. And the villagers tried to offer him uh, um, sneakers. Mm. Um, and he said they wouldn't, they wouldn't fit in my, in, my, in my bag. So I can't accept them. You know, um, I can't carry them around. Also, weirdly enough, um, I thought this would be an interesting thing to mention and a cool thing to segue into, because ultimately these are, um, um, I think, interesting, uh, firstly, anecdotes um, and, um, I guess, useful indicators of the spiritual way, but they also pertain to uh, people whose lives are devoted to spirituality um, from slightly different cultures from different eras as well, largely mm. speaking. So it would be interesting to see if there is any value um, in taking these things into our own, um, uh, you know, contemporary uh, Western contexts and, and whether and, and what we could do with that. Um, I mean, forgive me for doing this, but I recently uh, listened to a Kanye West interview. Um, <laughs> Bad for your health, but yes, carry yeah. on. Um, where he made this express point that... Um, you know, he said, um, you know, people keep telling me like, what, you know, why, why are you not buying or, or keeping 
a house um, since he's been divorced and whatnot. And he's like, well, he's like, I buy and remodel and then resell houses. But ultimately, um, I love the idea of just being unattached. Uh, so what I have with me, like I call my bag, my house, you know, mm. and I love the idea that I could really go anywhere in the world and that, you know, because of who I am and because of the people I know, I, I would be kind of able to find a place to stay without too much trouble, that I would have friends in enough places that I could essentially couch surf. And I was like, this is a very interesting concept for a billionaire to reappropriate. Well, um, yeah, this is, I suppose this is the thing, right? Like the, and ties back to what we were saying at the beginning a little bit, like, yes, there is something nice about that, but also Kanye West doing that is not the same as, as really anyone else doing that. Like, I mean, yeah, I mean, the, <laughs> the level of security, if he wanted to, he could rock up in a city and buy a house and he could do that yeah, every exactly. day of his life for the rest of his life like it's yeah, um, yeah. that's I how mean, much he, money he also he, he went on to tell to tell a story of um being at um some famous parisian hotel mm. and um they uh, he asked for a room you know and uh, they were like yes yeah, i we're, we're all booked up and then and then he's like so then i like took off my mask and was like, are you sure you're all booked up? And they're like, oh, wait, we'll see what I can do. <laughs> and they found me a room like that. <laughs> so it's also... <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> maybe, Not who knows? Thing. Maybe maybe yeah. they just admire the confidence. Maybe we could, yeah, we could, could all do that. Yeah. <laughs> he could probably go to a stranger's house. Yeah. And be like, hi, I'm Kanye West. Can I stay on your couch? Can you stay on your couch? Can I have your bed? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Probably a large amount of people will be like, okay, Kanye, I see you stay in my house. Um, yeah, I mean, the non-attachment. Um, so I, th- I think that's interesting. It was travel as, a, as a, a mode for non-attachment, though, I think is where we're, even if, even if you're a billionaire, um, perhaps there's something to it. Yeah, um, I and think non-attachment for, for, for immaterialism, yeah. This notion of um, having to contend with yourself, mm. um, to not be uh, fixated on material things. Um, and also travel as the opportunity as, as, um, yeah, like this notion of like life in motion, you know, to be not overly anxious, to be uncertain about where you're going, yeah. to simply be at peace within the journey of things, you know, um, to sort of float and, um, and also travel as an opportunity to talk and exchange continuously with new people, you know, to continue yeah. to learn and to continue to teach. I think it's interesting, particularly in the in the context of spiritual travel. Uh, I have a friend who um, is is Muslim, and I asked him once about whether he intended to uh, do a Hajj um, before before long. This was when we were in school, and he and he said, you know, I don't think um, it it holds the the significance it once did because these days you get on a plane. You fly into Mecca, you stay in a posh hotel, you go to a service and then you go back. And like, he's like, there's no, the whole point was it's supposed to be some sort of, um, it's supposed to be a little bit of a, it's supposed to be a journey rather than just travel. It's supposed to be a bit of discomfort. It's supposed to be a, a, something you go through and then you arrive at this place and it's, it's incredible. And it's just this act of devotion. Um, But now that that's so commercialized in many ways that it's so easy to do, the, there's not really any point in doing it is sort of what he he thought about it um which i think is interesting in the in that context that that travel but it's so 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 on the back of that let me ask you it does travel for uh spiritual purposes have to be difficult i think in the context of 
Buddhism, that's sort of something that it would be. But I'll say two things to that. Firstly, I think one thing it's important to note is that um, the 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 notion of the wandering uh, teacher, Buddhist or yogi or whatever you want to call them, um, is not a fixed one. Which is to say that monks don't necessarily like the Buddha become lifelong travelers. They may right. engage in this practice for a certain amount of years before then returning to an institution or a monastery or a home um, and then becoming um, fixed once more. Um, mm -hmm. So there's something to be said for that. Um, secondly, I don't think it necessarily has to be um, difficult, but um, you know, the objective um, is is uh, you know to 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 quote something here is to renounce your attachment to not just possessions and comfort but to more subtle things such as being famous and controlling where you go mm. so as a wandering yogi you go where circumstances dictate you're responsive to the situations that you find yourself in there is total freedom from ordinary entanglements but also a very profound renunciation of ordinary attachments renunciation is the core of the buddhist path so if the primary role of the Lama is to teach others by giving talks, wandering practice helps them do that because it develops their own inequalities. But Lamas can also teach by way of demonstration and being an exemplar of the renunciate life is a very powerful way to teach people to rethink their ordinary relationships to their lives and their possessions. So I suppose this doesn't necessarily um, uh, imply difficulty, but if for instance, you go where circumstances dictate. I suppose if you're buying spontaneous plane tickets, maybe, yeah. um, you know, but, but, you know, if you have a fixed destination in mind, um, then you're, 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 I think it's essentially the cliche here, but you're, you're looking at the destination. This is about mm. the travel. This is not mm -hmm. about going anywhere. This is mm. about being a traveler. Right. So maybe you could do that in a car. Um, you know, um, there is, I mean, there is a, a wandering uh, yogi who has his own website called mm. forenlightenment.com, the wandering monk, who is um, a Westerner who, who became a Thudong monk in, in uh, Myanmar and who has wandered across Thailand, Sri Lanka, um, uh, Myanmar, obviously, and has also wandered around Europe, Holland, Germany, Luxembourg, Belgium, France and is currently in Portugal. Um, and, and he has a website because he has decided um, to adapt the Fudong life um, to become more in line with the 21st century and to adapt, right? And so rather than just purely having an alms bowl, he has like a donation page through PayPal, you know? But like the monasteries have now like refused to continue to support him. Okay. Um, but he supports himself by doing that. And he has like a little van and he has this little website and he adopted this dog, this stray dog that kind of adopted him. And um, he considers himself a wandering monk, you know, but he drives around in a van, probably sleeps in it um, and, and has access to the internet where he writes blog posts that um, help him earn money to stay alive, you know? Um, so that seems like a compromise or his attempt at a compromise between the, you know, the ascetic, uh, Thudong wandering monk lifestyle yeah. of old and the 21st century of Europe. Yeah, that's fascinating. And um, I, I've accessed the the page. It's for the number four enlightenment.com and it's very yeah. Yeah, impressive. Looks like a looks like a chill, chill kind of life. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Being a wandering monk. Well, that, with that, his that, dog and everything, you know. 
let me ask you this um because this is something that occurred to me when thinking about this episode do you think that um for for travel and for transients to to be effective and to um have this sort of uh, non-attachment and encountering new people and, and and sort of perhaps expanding horizons in that way, which isn't something we've really talked about. I think the subtext is there. It's often what's said in the context of travel. Do you think you have to go abroad? And I asked this because um, I, the other week, was chatting to uh, our good friend Sam Rebel, friend of the show, who um, we were talking about actual travel. Actual friend of the show. A- actual friend of the show, unlike many of the other friends of the show we talk about, um, yeah. who we were talking about travel and he asked me how many people I knew who didn't have a passport. And the answer is none. And I don't think I've ever known anyone who doesn't have a passport. Um, mm. And he, I know people that... who don't have passports. Yeah. Interesting. But well, in California, he didn't know he, most of the people he knew didn't have a passport. And I think across America, yeah. only 40% of people have passports, but America's right. a big place. Um, yeah. And you don't need a passport to go to Canada or Mexico, I think. So many mm-hmm. people never have passports. Mm-hmm. Well, I think this is something which will probably appeal to you, which is that, uh, you know, perhaps you renounce the notion of borders um, mm. in the ideal context of, of the traveler. Um, secondly, I think, you know, there is simply something to be said for like even turning your phone off, putting it in a backpack and taking it up, a, you know, a local hill or mountain yeah. for the day. You know, like you can you can enjoy. I mean, I know you're a fan of the, the micro sized adventure. Yeah. Um, you know, it's uh, it's it's definitely very possible to do that. And probably, you know, if you're walking, it's going to take you some time to cross the border or any border or at least cross two. Yeah. You know, if you're near a border, it'll then probably take you a little while to cross to the next one. Um so inevitably, your process will be spent um, always at some point in countries. You don't necessarily need to go very far, um, particularly if you're not necessarily looking to meet too many people. You know, you're mm-hmm. looking to get away from crowds a little bit. So if you're wandering into nature um, rather than from a kind of human conglomeration to human conglomeration, um, you, you definitely can do that um, with, with more ease in some places than others. But you, but you definitely don't have to cross the border for now. Yeah, I, I don't think you do. I think there is some value to um, finding a place or a place inhabited by people who are not like you. Um, maybe where there's another language spoken or indeed where there's maybe um, large, uh, even just a different socioeconomic background or just a large maybe... Um, foreign population you know if you if you live in somewhere like a large city um we both lived in london you could find pockets of of many different nationalities throughout the city which are one like our local um sainsbury's for example had a remarkably good selection of like bengali food because there were a Mm -hmm. lot of bengali people nearby and so i think there's some value to to that seeking difference um and immersing yourself in it perhaps Yeah. Uh, yeah well i think um in that, I think what what you're saying is is um, seeking out difference, even if it is within the border of your country, yeah. um, is an important aspect of like um, the advantages you might gain from traveling. I think uh, also doing so at a relatively slow pace, um, I think, is important as well. Allowing yourself to appreciate your journey and allowing it to be a journey in which you're connected to your surroundings. And I would argue that walking is perhaps the most obvious example of that. Um, I guess you could ride a horse, although that doesn't seem very common. 
Um, My sister did that once. She well, did a I horse would, riding I would, holiday. I would really? Yeah, that's she took amazing. five days riding a horse across like Wales or something. Um, that's really cool. Yeah, staying in inns. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, I would do that, but I would, I would, I would ask you to forge me a sword. Of course. We... Yeah. <laughs> Listen. As of Friday, I'm going to be a master blacksmith. I imagine it takes one day. And <laughs> and then I'll forge everyone I know a sword and uh, we'll go on quests. Um, that reminds me. And and perhaps uh, uh, I'm going to I'm going to go. I'm going to make one brief point and then I'm going to leave a cliffhanger. And then I think we need to wrap up. Gone. The thing is, we didn't even really talk about slow travel, which is an entire philosophy of travel that emphasizes yeah. not rushing around from from place to place and like spending a lot of time in one location. It's becoming increasingly more popular with um, like uh, a lot of environmental considerations of travel and the rise of remote work that allow you to go to places and, and live and stay. Um, remote work, I suppose, coming back. It's re- remaining in place now that uh, borders are opening once again, which is also something we're not talking about. Um, but unfortunately, and as much as I'd like to turn this into like a two-hour episode, until such a time as we are all free from our earthly burdens, at some point, and at some point I mean in like nine minutes, gonna have to go to work. The cliffhanger, <laughs> <laughs> the cliffhanger is, um, which I'll tell you about off air and on the podcast at some point, I met someone the other day, Nick, who is on a bona fide quest for a cursed sword. They are literally, they know of a cursed sword in Trinidad and they are questing to find it. And we'll talk about that more later. (laughs) Wow, that is a cliffhanger. Yeah. Um, And to keep us all... um, tied over until then uh any plugs and failing that any cleansed palettes palette cleansers yeah no well um, any summaries i I suppose i rather rushed that (laughs) well yeah i mean in summary i suppose um i mean i'm fascinated by this like tradition and i definitely want to learn more about kind Mm. of especially the buddhist tradition which kind of births this like wandering notion um and to see how it also exists um in other cultures um, and to see how it can be revered as well as stigmatized because you know some people can see those without homes as holy men and others uh, can treat the homeless rather harshly mm. um, so it's a I think there's a, a very interesting um, kind of perspective there um, and and to kind of um, uh, therefore not to be so dismissive of alternative ways of life especially if it's by choice um, but I think to kind of take that into our own lives which is ultimately the goal right um Mm. is to yeah to put ourselves in um unordinary circumstances perhaps in slightly challenging ones as well um to not seek to rush wherever it is that we're going um but rather to pay attention to the journey of going there in a very literal sense um and so maybe not taking a plane but um Certainly, certainly, I think cars and trains probably could 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 work. Yeah, it's interesting you say this because it's it's coming to the point that I think that um, I'm not sure what's the intention to make, but I think has become a little clear, which is that travel is is almost as much a, a mindset of sort of discovery and, and being open to things yeah. as it is a, a physical action of of moving. I think I think it probably helps to movement. Um, yeah. There's a uh, there's a um, an old uh, phrase that I that I like, solvator ambulando, which means it is solved mm. by walking. Which originally was very literal. It was it was a it was a counter to Zeno's paradox that said you could never cross a room. Um, yeah. But 
but I think it has been taken to be a proverb of like walking to like clear your head, think about stuff. Mm-hmm. Jazz. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that applies to yeah, non-attachment and discovery as well. Like, as mm-hmm. you say, chill, yeah. move around, see stuff. Well, thank you um for for that enlightening hat explanation of um <laughs> the Buddhist wanderer. Um any plugs? Uh, I don't have anything to plug. No. Uh, do you? Uh, no. Cool. Cool. A fun cool, fact, cool, maybe. Cool. Um, yeah, well, I'll, I, will, I will. My fun fact is very short, which is simply um, that when I mentioned that the Buddha, uh, Siddhartha and Gautama at the time sat under a Bodhi tree or the Bow tree, mm-hmm. um, uh, it is uh, it, a Bodhi tree is, is a fig tree um, and um, figs therefore have a certain um, kind of uh, uh, privilege um, or, or sacredness in certain um, Buddhist traditions. Um, uh, one of the, the, the what's believed to be either a descendant of the original Bodhi tree um, by the Mahabodhi temple um, is a site of pilgrimage. Um, and a few other trees elsewhere have become sites of pilgrimage, which are believed to be also maybe descendants from the original fig tree. Um, and, uh, and prayer beads uh, are made uh, from sacred fig seeds and are highly esteemed. Oh. So if you ever see kind of fig imagery or, or, or uh, prayer beads made of fig seeds, then, then you know it's because the Bodhi tree, um, Bodhi is fig. Yeah. That's interesting. I didn't know that. And I will keep my eye out for it um every time you eat a a fig do so mindfully in honor of the buddha i will i will next time there's a lot of figs around here actually a lot of wild figs um which is very pleasant um well you yourself could sit under a body tree and attain enlightenment i could i could i'd have to sit in someone's garden which they might protest (laughs) but um i'm not leaving until i've reached enlightenment (laughs) (laughs) um so i i um I opened uh, in preparation for this episode. Opened a travel facts page from the Lonely Planet, and um, although I don't think this is necessarily uh, a, a travel fact, it is very funny. Which is that Russia only classified beer as an alcoholic drink in 2011. Um, <laughs> before then, any drink with less than 10% alcohol was considered a foodstuff. <laughs> Ah, uh, stereotypes persist. I know, I know. <laughs> In this case, very funny and I think rather mm-hmm. harmlessly, but uh, maybe mm-hmm. not, maybe I'm wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh, and on that note, dear listener, thank you so much for listening and with love and rage, goodbye. Goodbye. Enjoy work. Oh, God. <laughs>